Hi, I am Paul Armitage, a partner at Gowling WOG. Technology and data are key parts of our world today. At Gowling WOG, our team of legal professionals can help you take a proactive approach to meeting your legal obligations in the field of cybersecurity and managing a cyber breach if it does happen. Visit our website today to learn how we can help. Thanks for joining us today at BIB Today, the podcast from the newsroom of Business in Vancouver. I'm Kirk LaPointe, publisher and editor-in-chief. Our subject is a problem that has been complicated by the pandemic, how to keep our information secure and safe from invasion in an emerging era of work from home. What can individuals and businesses do to mitigate risk? Our podcast is in two parts. This is part one. Our panel approaches this subject from slightly different perspectives, but all of them are great experts in their field. Derek Mankey is Chief of Security Insights and Global Threat Alliances at Fortinet's Fortigard's Labs. Uh, the company develops cybersecurity products and services. David Masson is uh, the Director of Enterprise for Darktrace, an AI company that specializes in cyber defense. And Paul Armitage is a partner in the Gowling Law Firm, where he is head of the Vancouver Industry Technology Group. Good to have all of you with us today. Um, let's let's look first of all at at what kind of situation we're in uh, here, Paul, and and what we've got in the way of uh, of you know a, a kind of an, a new threat going on with the pandemic. Um, well, I mean, I guess what people have sort of experienced is, you know, with the onset of the pandemic, there's been sort of a rush to a lot of uh, work uh, remotely. We've had entire workforces shift to working remotely and. A lot of way that's been a good thing. It's really um, increased sort of the digital um, engagement of people and working in a digital world, whether it's telehealth or remote working or whatever the case may be. But with that has also come um, certain bad things in the sense of heightened cybersecurity risks, which can be sort of thought about from a technical perspective, or they can also be thought about from sort of a corporate and organizational perspective. David, what are the increased threats these days? Um, well, uh, bad guys love uh, a crisis, and they've been very adept at uh, exploiting what, what people sometimes call fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And the actual scale of the attacks has actually increased as the pandemic has gone on because they've used it as a way of actually uh, delivering their attacks. Um, there's a bit of an asymmetry here. As it's become easier for them to attack, it's actually become more difficult for people to defend against this, uh, in particular because of the, the dispersal of the workforce uh, with work from home, which we've had to do, and it's actually worked. It's just what it's actually done is increased what they call the threat landscape. There are just so many more ways now of being able to attack an organization because nobody's in the organization. They're spread around all over the place. And Derek, uh, have people just let their guard down a little bit in the pandemic? Yeah, so I, I agree with David. You know, uh, that, that threat landscape and, and what we also refer to as the attack surface has grown because of this. Uh, you know, typically when we see these uh, crises, they're 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 generally regionalized. It could be an earthquake, uh, you know, human humanitarian crisis. With this pandemic, it's global, so it's different. And and most of these regionalized attacks, they last about two weeks for an attack campaign, two to three weeks. You know, we're we're going on uh, six, seven months plus, and and longer. So it's it's this form, this this perfect storm, right, where you have. Growing attack surface, more vulnerable uh, users now that are outside of corporate safeguards, a larger attack surface, and more players, more cyber criminals to the table. It's not just one group. 
you know, we, we saw back in April uh, over 330, on average daily, 330 different campaigns. That means different threat okay. groups in different languages and different regions. And so the education problem becomes uh, very large. So I would say early on that uh, people had their guards down. Yes, um, I would say we've seen a, a, a positive impact in terms of people starting to get the message, uh, but we still have more work to do. Yeah. Paul, it, it, take me back a little bit of a number of months ago and where where we really were seeing um, almost a triage in the way the businesses were having to uh, cope with uh, sending people home to, to work from there. Obviously, uh, businesses themselves were uh, suddenly running out of money. Their cash flow positions were, were endangered. Governments were trying to figure out what to do, how to bring money to people as quickly as possible. It, that just feels almost like the perfect storm for cybersecurity breaches. Yes, and I guess, you know, we, you know, from, you look at it from sort of a, a legal perspective in terms of where the, the vulnerabilities can arise, the sort of the, the technical side of thing, which you know, Derek and David can you know, speak to, and that really deals with things such as using unsecured networks, BYOD, um, you know, poor access network, uh, poor storage of data, whatever the case may be. Um, but the second is an entire other sort of set of problems to really around sort of corporate controls. And so that's really organizations when they shift working remotely, you know, their sort of corporate controls that they previously had in place to uh, govern things such as transactions, money transfers, you know, the proverbial email that seems to come from someone's boss saying, wire $200,000 immediately to this account. You know, there could be, and it looks like a legitimate email, there could be no way work in a remote environment to verify that in the same way that an organization might previously do it. And so that sort of created um, a set of sort of organizational risks on top of sort of the, the typical sort of cybersecurity or techni technical risks. And that it creates vulnerabilities and that hackers are being, you know, obviously trying to work their way in and exploit those types of vulnerabilities. And so organizations need to respond to that by you know, revisiting their controls, having training and policies put in place to sort of, so they can set the sort of expectations for how their workforce will basically respond and adapt in the uh, sort of remote working environment. Mm -hmm. so, so David, is, is one of the great myths of our time right now, the idea that uh, we all can work from home? Uh, well, actually, not everybody can work from home. People in the service industries, um, entertainment, mm -hmm. the food industry, they can't. And they're the ones who've been really hit when it comes to layoffs and, lack of, and, and losing their jobs. Um, for everybody else, particularly in sort of industries we're in or, or legal or whatever like that, um, yes, you can. You can work from home. A lot of people can work from home. A lot of people who didn't do it before. So I've been working from home forever. Suddenly discovered they can do. And lots of businesses have suddenly discovered that they don't need to be renting those big premises downtown anymore. And I'm sure a lot of the big cities in Canada have got a bit quieter because of that and potentially might stay quieter uh, if, if we don't actually go back to that office. Um, but for some people, no, you, you can't work from home, unfortunately. Yeah. And, and Derek, the, the, uh, the situation was in such a way that uh, we were looking after so many other things at once. Um, who's, who's standing guard? over the threats? Um, my point of view on this is, uh, first, we can never compromise the risk of it. This is a holistic environment. 
Um, there's never a silver bullet to this, right? I mean, uh, every everyone in the ecosystem from our part, you know, I, I run our global threat intel team. So we we stand guard when it comes to doing threat hunting, finding the latest threats, doing the, the you know, the, the deep hauling on what these threats are, adding protections for customers, as an example, doing education on that. But then when it comes to organizations, right, it, it's up to their part, um, to, to, to their responsibility, quite frankly, to have to you know, know what their risks are, uh, their corporate assets. There's all these you know uh, ransom targets nowadays, um, as well as business email compromise. Going to uh, Paul's point earlier, and so it's important to have obviously the security solutions and threat intelligence and updates in place, but also doing training for employees, right? Uh, things like uh, you know phishing campaigns to make sure that they're. Uh, uh, um, Good phishing campaigns ethically to make sure their employees are you know aware of these attacks, especially COVID lures. But then also down to the employees themselves, right? Being um, you know we 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 work with public sector Interpol as an example to do uh, things like wash your cyber ham campaigns. Um, this whole concept of cyber distancing, just like social distancing in the real world, that comes down all the way to the endpoint. So it's really an end to end thing, uh, Kirk, in my point of view, when it comes to who should be standing guard. Back to you, David. I mean, here we are. We're on we're on Zoom today. Um, uh, have we let our guard down by by embracing things like this? Well, obviously, Zoom had a few problems right at the beginning, um, but obviously, they had a great product. We weren't expecting it to suddenly be used by to go from ten million to three hundred million in two weeks. Uh, so <laughs> let's not let's uh, let's not judge them on that. Uh, picking up something that was just said. Um, You'll often hear in the cybersecurity world about people saying that human beings are the weakest link, and I've really become a non-fan of that description. Um, mm. If you pointed at a football team, and given the fact I'm originally British, I'm talking about soccer here, but let's talk about gridiron as well. You never point at that team and say the human being is the weakest link, would you? You've got to give people, as was just pointed out, you've got to give them training, you've got to give them awareness, but you've got to give them technology as well. And if you miss out in either of those two aspects, whether it's training, awareness, or technology, then expect them to fail. But when they do, don't point the finger at them and say, well, we, ah, human beings are the weakest link. Because to be honest with you, given the scale of threat we face, you know, if they're really up against it, if you don't help them, yeah, they will fail. Yeah, it's because it's exactly because particularly if you don't lay out through training and having the corporate policies in place, people will just left with their own devices, well come up with their sort of personal workarounds. Could be using unsecure email communications, you know, unsecure personal sort of storage systems, things like that. So the organizations need to equip the employees with the right tools, like the VPN and the devices, the corporate devices, and then also uh, provide them with the training and the policies so they so that they know um, what the expectations are and how and how how to do things. Because otherwise, people may be prone to sort of come up with their own workarounds, particularly working in this environment if they get a little frustrated or want to do something quickly or whatever the case may be. And oftentimes, this is a case of visibility, too, going back to that education point. You know, we always say you can't protect against or understand what you can't see. And a lot of the times, there's it comes back to the education and training, too. I mean, there, there is, I think, a big false sense of security, especially initially when this happened from the work-from-home environments. Um, just, you know, to the end users, uh, possibly thinking that everything is the same environment they're operating in from a security standpoint, when, as we know, in reality, it isn't. So, so a lot of people were sent home um, and basically said, you know, you can work from home almost indefinitely in this. Now, is it the time for companies to basically get their, 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 
their systems together, audit themselves properly in order to see what kind of, um, of risk that they've got out there, David? Um, companies should certainly be thinking about having a plan for whether they're going to bring people back or if they don't bring them back, how they're going to keep them uh, away. Um, there's lots of issues surrounding this. Um, one of them is certainly that, so it's been, what, seven months now? Uh, organizations are usually uh, accustomed to having all their data in one place. And despite all the policies they may have, their data is probably slowly leaked out and it's now in hundreds of different places all mm. around their workforce. And they're going to have to think of someone about how do we get that back or whether we're going to get it back. Um, they're also going to have to understand that uh, in the way it was just described, um, people sometimes, you know, just try to do the right thing, find workarounds and what have you. And that when they, if they're going to bring people back, there's a good chance they're going to bring back a world of threat that didn't exist at HQ before, oh, but has now right. been developing outside and they're going to bring it back in. So they have to be getting ready for that and actually accept that if we're bringing people back, probably there's a good chance there's going to be an element of all hell breaking loose somewhere, but at least be ready for it and have some ideas of what you're going to do. So they've got a chance to try and deal with it quite quickly. Mm-hmm. Paul, it, this is really no time to compromise on risk, but uh, we're we, you know we're living with a lot of risk right now in in the pandemic. Um, is there any kind of level of acceptable risk for a company around cybersecurity? Well, some the legal standard that would be applied is what's considered a, a standard of reasonableness, mm-hmm. um, which is a fairly sort of general concept, and then it gets informed by um, different sources depending on various factors, for example, what industry you may be in. So when it comes to sort of creating, how does an organization know it's meeting this reasonable standard? You can look to a variety of different sources. So one of the most obvious sources is privacy law. So privacy law requires organizations to take reasonable steps to safeguard personal information in their control. And those steps have to be organizational, physical, and also technological. But once again, privacy law is quite it's like a platform type legislation. It doesn't, it's not highly prescriptive on what organizations need to do. But instead, there could be other sources out there that will provide greater guidance. So for example, if you're a chartered bank, the, the bank regulators produce cybersecurity guidance. If you're a public company, the securities regulators produce you know, more de- detailed guidance. And so these, so organizations sort of have to understand what is their sort of environment they work within, then they can identify what the sources are that will sort of establish what that threshold level of steps they should be taking in order to discharge that basic standard. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes you find themselves with companies that actually may not fit into any of those other industry groups. But, you know, what, once again, because it's sort of a search for standards, reading some of these other standards that may apply in other industries, they may still help inform what's considered the, sort of the general standard for your organization. So, um, it's, you know, it's an exercise that companies, you know, are, are good to go through, which is sort of understanding, well, what are the sources for where we work in the business we do, you know, what are sort of the sources that will inform our cybersecurity obligations? At the end of the day, you take steps to try to meet those. And then, and then if you, you know, if you suffer a security breach and you wind up getting sued in a class action lawsuit, you know, if you can sort of demonstrate that you've understood and made an attempt to assess and address those um, various sources of standards, you may be able to say that you've actually discharged your legal obligation, even in you know a challenging environment such as the one we're in. Mm. Derek, are are companies beginning to talk uh, to you about um, about what their you know what governance 
they have around all of this and whether there are large scale reputational concerns emerging um, out, of, out, of, uh, out of the pandemic where they feel like they have to, um, they have to assert a kind of a, uh, a different standard and communicate that publicly to, to shareholders, uh, to boards, uh, to uh, in a lot of ways to their customers in order to, um, in order to, to preserve their reputations as secure, uh, secure firms. Yeah, so the governance is quite new, I would say. We don't get a lot of requests coming in for that, but the reality is right now it's you know, seven months in. Uh, depending on the, the vertical, if we look at, you know, to me right now, um, the organizations that are having those conversations and ha- already have in the past would be like a distributed enterprise model, as an example. Uh, so they already have this reach outside of the corporate networks to field offices, as an example. Now, um, you know, they've had the resources, they've built the, their SOCs, their security operation centers, incident response planning, governance models. Um, so they're more mature down that phase. But other, other outside of the large enterprise, we get into um, uh, medium enterprise to uh, certainly uh, SMBs and the small and medium businesses. Um, right now, they're just starting to go through that, right? So it's more of a, how do I get a control on, on EDR, endpoint detection and response, uh, on patch management? Reality is right now, a lot of these, uh, to, to David's point, um, that data can be leaked to hundreds of thousands of devices around the work point, uh, is, is sort of the workforce, is understanding where, where those are. So the, the conversations are more of, hey, how do I get a control of my assets? Where are they? So that's things like uh, asset management. How do I identify the risk? How do I uh, get control over that in, in terms of endpoint management that's centralized? Those are more of the conversations we're having. And... You know, reality is, of course, a lot of these devices now are sitting on unsegmented networks, on whole networks where, you know, the top attacks, we, we have telemetry that we monitor every every day, really. And the top, the top attacks we're seeing are IoT-based attacks, right, going to mm-hmm. these devices that are very vulnerable, that don't have security sitting on them, that are on these, uh, these you know, uh, work from home offices, home networks. And that's a big problem. We're, we're, on, we're on record this year, Kurt, to, to break the amount of new vulnerabilities out of, we already have all these old ones to, to worry about. Uh, but this year we're already on record to break the, the most amount of vulnerabilities um, found in a year. And that number is close to 20,000 new ones. So it's- And, and David, let's, uh, let's conclude this first uh, segment uh, by asking you, I mean, are the, are the people trying to penetrate these uh, security systems uh, the usual suspects, or has this bred uh, a whole new, you know, cyber attacker? Um, no, it's still pretty much the usual suspects. What we have seen is increasing collaboration between the usual suspects, and it's usually nation states and uh, large scale. Let's call them criminal gangs because they're usually breaking the law somewhere. We've seen a lot more of that, uh, particularly this year, uh, and and in particular with uh, what's now being called ransomware as a service, where the person who's actually hacking you with ransomware didn't come up with the ransomware. They hired it from somebody else. We've seen a lot of collaboration over mm-hmm. that way. Mm-hmm. I just want to pick up on something you mentioned earlier on about reputation, reputational risk uh, 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 when it comes to cyber attacks. Um, that is probably the, the most serious thing. Uh, in a lot of the big hacks that have happened, and uh, there's been some financial hit uh, to the company. The, the, the share price might have dropped, but it usually bounces back. If everyone remembers the Sony Pictures attack, didn't really have that much effect on them. Price mm-hmm. went down, price came back up again. Where it really has, where there's a real problem when your reputation's on the line is if your customers walk away. There was a famous hack against the telecoms company in the UK and their customers walked in their tens of thousands. 
And you'll see companies in Canada certainly well aware of that risk. And the best example would be Desjardins when they had their insider threat um, end of last year. In a blink of an eye, they just provided credit protection to everybody who was a Desjardins customer almost immediately, even before they knew who'd been affected because they realized reputation on the line. We've got to go out of our way to say, hey, look, we'll do what we can to everybody regardless. And I think that's a really important issue for business in Canada is yeah. to understand, yeah, you might lose some money here, but it's your reputation on the line. Yeah, I mean, someone's paying for it somewhere though, isn't it? In, in what, sorry, in what terms? Oh, someone's paying for this somewhere. When you provide that kind of credit protection, you're, you know, you're, you're Oh yeah, it'll be, the, yeah it'll, be, it'll be the business is doing that in order to protect its reputation to show that it's actually taking this thing seriously. Let's take a break here. Derek, David, and Paul, thanks so much for your help. Part two is coming up shortly. I'm Kirk LaPointe from Business in Vancouver.